you have your Bibles, do me a favor, grab them. Turn to Mark chapter 10, verse 45. We're going to get there in a minute. Week five of our series being the church. And then what we're going to do when this series is over in a couple of weeks is we are going to start another five-week series called What We Believe. And it's going to really just step through our statement of faith. And um, so what we're doing really in the fall here is just getting back to some of the some of the basics of who we are, what has God called us to be, and what are the beliefs that ground us as a church that, again, are rooted in Scripture. So we just want to spend some time this fall um, looking into that. Um, So far, if you've been with us since week one, um, we started with this idea of being the church means that we are worshipers. I hope I can remember all this. In the second week, we, um, we talked about the fact that we are learners and we are leaders. Then week three, we are gatherers and scatterers, I think. Did we say it like that, Scott? Was that? Yeah. And then last week, um, we looked into this idea of our rhythms and the structure of the church. So we're kind of breaking these things down a little bit, kind of taking some pages from our membership booklet. And then this week, we want to look at this idea that we serve one another. We are servers. Um, man, I've been waiting for years to be able to use a Downton Abbey illustration in a sermon. And today happens to be the day that dream is coming true. Um, man, somebody just said, woo. That's one other fan. Well, if you don't know, um, Downton Abbey's a little old now, but it's a, it's a historical, British historical drama set in the early 20th century about this wealthy family named the Crawleys. And they live in this sort of this grand Victorian mansion on this massive estate. And the show focuses on two groups of people, uh, the Crawley family, the wealthy family, the owners of the estate who live upstairs in the mansion and the servants who live and work for the Crawleys downstairs. So you have these two lives and they show how they sort of intersect and integrate. And two of the main servant characters are uh, a man named Carson the butler and another man named Thomas the Footman. I don't know what a footman is, but that's who he is. Um, and there is some major distinction between Carson the butler and Thomas the Footman, and not just the fact that Carson is Thomas's boss. Um, what you see as you watch the show is that Carson the butler is devoted to the Crawley family, and he's given his entire life to serving them because he loves them. He considers them as close as as if they were his own family. And then you get Thomas, the footman, who's a bit of a controversial character on the show, but he really has no love for the Crawley family. He spends most of his time sort of plotting how he might seize any opportunity to uh, get into a higher position and use the family as a way to sort of better himself. In other words, Carson the butler serves the Crawleys with joy, but for Thomas, man, it's just a job for him to attain a better lot in life. And now, given how quiet you are, I think I've made the show sound like the most boring television series of all time. For some of you, it would be. But the reason why I'm so excited to talk about this aspect of Downton Abbey is because it illustrates what we're going to discuss this morning, which is that the church that Jesus builds is a community of men and women worshipers who do this really unique thing in that they serve one another. In fact, when we read through the New Testament, there are 59 passages that say 
one another, that say we should do these things and live out these things one to another. That's how big this idea is of the church serving one another as it's laid out uh, in scripture. So serving one another, which is what we're talking about, is one of the distinct practices of being the church. But the most distinct aspect of it is why we serve at all. Why do we serve at all? Well, we serve one another because Jesus serves us. And like Jesus serves us for the sake of unity, humility, love, and encouragement, we are then to also serve one another. Let me frame it like this. What if the church wasn't only a place for you and I to meet our spiritual needs, but was also a place that was created by Jesus for you and me to meet the needs of others and then become closer to Jesus in the process of practicing what it looks like to meet those needs. The nature of someone, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, the nature of a person who has been saved by Jesus is that they are being daily conformed into his image. And what that, what that conforming looks like is that we have a growing desire like Jesus to serve others because what is discovered in that serving process is this thing called joy. Why? Well, because it was a joy for Jesus to serve us. When we go to the book of Hebrews chapter 12, we read that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He served us sacrificially. And what that brought to him uh, in the doing, in the practice of that serving us sacrificially is that it was, it was for the joy that was set before him. So there's something that when we start talking about, man, what does it mean to be the church? And what does it mean to be a worshiper? And what does it mean to scatter? What does it mean that we have structure? What does it mean to serve one another? Well, there's this thing called joy that is supposed to be gr grounded in the heart of it all. And what we find is that as we serve one another, as we look to the needs of others, not just our own, is that something is produced in us as the result of that. And what the Bible says, it's this thing called joy. When we stop sort of centering on the needs of ourselves as a way to find our joy, when we look to the needs of others as the source of our joy because of how Jesus is doing that in our own lives, there's explosions that happen all over the church. And they're actually explosions of joy. So Mark 10.45, to ground us this morning in one particular passage, this is what we're going to ground ourselves in. And this is what it says. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. So the backdrop for why we who live, by the way, in a very individualistic, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps town like Ashland, why we would even consider serving our sisters and brothers is because of Jesus. It's because Jesus came to serve us by giving his life to us. And as we give our lives away to others, what comes, what comes exploding from that joy is a creation of a culture of unity, humility, love, and encouragement. Unity, humility, love, and encouragement. Let's turn to Romans. I'm going to make a hard right and go all the way to the book of Romans, a couple of books down. Romans chapter 12. We're going to take a few minutes and look at this idea of unity and humility as being this culture that gets created when we serve 
one another the way that Jesus has served us. In verse 16, I'm just going to read the first part of it. Paul writes, live in harmony with one another. Paul says, live in harmony with one another. What we find in scripture is that God is just fiercely devoted to unity in his church, which is why he inspired Paul to write so much on unity. Let me say it to you guys like this. Nothing screams we do not love Jesus or his church like disunity. Like, like there's nothing, there's nothing that, that sets Jesus on a place in the eyes of the world that makes him look irrelevant and makes him look like somebody who's not very real when the world looks at the church and sees fighting and biting and devouring. There's nothing that makes Jesus look more extinct than a church that's just swimming and drowning in disunity. 1 Corinthians 1.10, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. We're going to unpack that here because what we're talking about is unity. We're not talking about uniformity and there's a difference between those things. What this means is that the church works hard under the power of the Holy Spirit and by the grace of God to live in harmony with one another, to be of the same mind and the same spirit. Because one of the compelling characteristics of God is that he brings people together. Like he brought all you together. I don't know how he did that. But he brings people together from a diversity of ethnic and religious and political and vocational persuasions and unifies them together as the church. It's the most amazing thing. Like in every other context, like this shouldn't work, right? Right, you know, Republicans and Democrats all worshiping and singing the same songs together. Yeah, there's Democrats in the congregation, right? Imagine all the different backgrounds we've come from. Imagine the diversity of stories that we have, the different religious traditions that we've come from. I mean, think about that level of just story and diversity and how we all come together and somehow this substance church is the church that God is growing and building in Ashland on 101 South Street. Dude, I don't know. Only God can do that particular work, right? This is how God harmonizes the world. This is how God harmonizes the world with this song of love, mercy, grace, and truth that just comes just flowing from him into us. So here's an example of that. Like what you just heard on the platform a minute ago as Scott and Kat and Ashley were, were leading us uh, for a time of praise this morning, what you hear every morning are women and men who are singing in harmony, right? If ever it doesn't sound like that, it's probably because I'm singing too loud in the front row, right? But what harmony means is that all the singers are in the right key and they're singing the right notes in a rhythm that complements one another. But if you notice our singers all have different voices. They don't all have the same voice tone. 
as the other. So even though they, they sing in harmony, there's a diversity of voices that create a more beautiful song for us to sing. Now, what we said a minute ago is true. Unity doesn't mean uniformity. It's not that we all think the same. It's not that we all act the same and lose the beautiful diversity that God created in order for us to reflect his character, right? It's that we harmonize together. It's that we harmonize this gospel song of unity, humility, love, and encouragement. And it's this unified harmony that allows us to live humbly with each other and have peace with God in the process. So we work hard by God's grace to live in harmony, in unity with one another because Jesus is a harmonious God who creates beauty through diversity. How do we know that's true? Right here. It's happening right now. Imagine what that might look like for you. Imagine what that kind of harmonizing unity might look like for you as you start thinking about the ways in which you are called to serve your neighbor and to serve your brothers and sisters. How might that look for you? Maybe it means reconciling with a sister that you have sinned against. Maybe it's working hard to live peaceably with a brother that's a little difficult for you. Maybe it's intentionally moving towards others that are just unlike you and you don't have anything in common. Like they for sure do not like Downton Abbey, right? But to move toward this kind of self-denying, this servant-like unity, it, it requires Christ-like humility. We're told in Philippians 2.7, Jesus emptied himself. He took the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So for us to establish even just an inkling, even the beginning stages of some kind of diverse unification as God's church, man, it just requires humility. It requires, it requires a humble spirit. It requires just this humble posture. Humility is so hard, it's my least favorite thing to think about. And the reason why it is, is because I don't got it all down. The reason why it is because I'm not a very humble man. And God's growing me in humility. And every time that needle moves forward in my growth and in your growth in humility, it's like there is being more unity created in our body. Look what it says in Romans 12, 16. The next part of that verse after saying live in harmony with one another, Paul says, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. See, so many of the problems that come when we are, we are sort of falling back into disunity is because we are being wise in our own sight. We're thinking that there is one way to think and to process about the things, the events that shape our world. And so what we do is we hold those things tighter than scripture even tells us to hold those things. And we don't allow for any nuance of opinion. We don't allow for there to be grace that somebody else 
somehow might have a different way of thinking through some of the things that they're living through and processing and the events that are taking place and the things that are shaping us as a society. There might be some different ways to think through these things. What humility does is it allows us to create unity by remembering to not be wise in our own sight like Paul's instructing us here. Peter says this in 1 Peter 5. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. There's that one another again. He says, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So Peter, he uses this imagery of clothing ourselves with humility toward one another so that we receive grace. Listen to this. Instead of opposition from God. It kind of makes us sort of understand what it means to be humble and take that a little more serious and see that it's not just something where, man, if I'm not being humble, I'm not serving you as well and I got some issues and I got to work through those things. No, no, he's relating it to what God embraces and welcomes and what God pushes back on. So God pushes back against haughtiness and arrogance because that has nothing to do in terms of being in alignment with his character. So Peter uses the imagery of clothing ourselves with humility. In other words, he's saying wear it. Wear that humility. Like when you wear something, it means that it's a, it's a part of you. You carry it with you wherever you go. Think of it like this. The humility you wear is an act of intentional unity toward one another. It's an act of intentional unity toward another person. It's saying, hey, you know what? I don't know. I hear what you're saying. I may have some disagreements. I may be walking with some woundedness. But I want to stop and I want to listen and I want to be prayerful. And I want to consider you in this even before I consider my own opinion, maybe even before I consider my own hurt. That's the radical nature of, of humility, of Christ-like humility. That's how it plays out for us practically. It means we consider the needs of others before our own. It means we think well of others when we're tempted to do otherwise or we've, when we've been given maybe even a real life example that would force us to do otherwise. It means we are not wise in our own eyes, but we listen to the perspectives and the stories and the wisdom that we might not have yet because we haven't listened to somebody else that can share it with us and increase it in us. It means we say things like, I don't know. It means we say things like, my experience has not been your experience, but I would love to understand your experience. It means we say, is there something I can repent to you for? Because you might be experiencing me in a way that's been hurtful or harmful. And I don't know what that is, but I would love to know what that is. So when we serve others like Jesus serves us, do you see how we create a culture of unity and humility, and when we are humble, it's like a cycle of unity that starts to flow and it continues to build and build and build a stronger church. Let's turn to John chapter 13 because we're going to look at love and encouragement. There's many one another's. We're just looking at these particular four, unity and humility, love and encouragement. We could do a whole series on this. Maybe someday we, we need to do that. That's obviously not today. John 13. 
34, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. The important words that I want us to key in on here are just as I have loved you. Jesus commands us to love one another, but he doesn't just say, love one another and you better like it. You you love that person and I'm telling you, man, you're gonna like it, right? I remember my brother Jason, uh, my younger brother Jason, um, he's two years younger, so we had one of those relationships where we were so close in age and, you know, we would occasionally, you know, fight and we would get into these fights and my parents would make us do this thing where we would have to face each other, right? And they would each have a hand on each of our backs and they would make us say we were sorry and they would make us hug it out. Um, the problem with that, besides a whole host of problems, and if you're a parent that's doing that, sorry, but let's talk about some of the problems with that. But the, the problem, if I can just focus on one aspect of it, was that we didn't want to hug it out. And because we weren't sorry when we hugged it out and said we were sorry, it meant that we didn't really mean it and we were still holding a grudge because just the outward act of doing something that wasn't flowing from what was happening internally in us um, wasn't making a big impact on us. Jesus doesn't say you better love one another or else. I mean, he kind of says that, but he's saying you love because you were first loved, right? He's saying you love because you have a particular kind of love that's flowing in you that has to come out of you. Like there's something in you that's already been produced there because of the love of Christ in you that needs to come out of you. So you're, you're, not, you're not just grabbing for something that you don't have. Like sometimes we, we find ourselves in situations, right, where we're made to like perform or to do something that we, man, I'm just, I, I don't have a lot of talent in that area, right? Like I know I, I got to do this, but I'm not really good at it. I don't know how to do it. I got to find that strength or that talent or that gifting from somewhere because it's not in me. When Jesus says you shall love your neighbor as yourself, it's not because you don't have that love in you. He's saying, reach into your heart and pull out that love and give it to the person that is next to you because I am with you and my love goes with you everywhere. You have my love to extend to a world that doesn't know what my love is and also to a church who does know what my love is so that when you extend it to them, they will be able to feel and experience that love as the very love of Christ. Isn't that amazing? Jesus grounds all of this in his, his beautiful, his heartbreaking, his self-sacrificing love for us. If we are loved by Jesus, and we are, and his love has transformed our hearts into unified and humble hearts, the outflow from them will be in love toward one another. There's tension, though, isn't there? There's tension in this because our love for Jesus is still a fierce battle. It's like engaging in a war with our love for ourselves. There's that war going on. There's that fight going on. Paul gives us a warning, actually, 
of how that tension plays out when we fail to love one another just as Christ has loved us. You don't have to turn there, but Galatians 5.14, Paul says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But then he says this, check it out. He goes, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But he says, but I say this, hey, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So Paul says the whole law is fulfilled in this one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What does he mean by that? Well, it means that when a person is truly loving their neighbor, sacrificially as themselves, as the way that they care for themselves, they are by virtue of that loving the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because somebody who is loving the Lord their God with that soul, mind, and strength component, the natural outpouring and outflow of that will be that we look at our neighbors with the eyes of Jesus and our heart breaks for them and our heart loves them and our heart desires to serve them. But there's a tension. And the warning is that when we aren't moving toward our neighbor in intentional and loving ways, we will more easily fall into biting and devouring one another. Don't you love how Paul just gives us no middle ground here? Without intentionally loving one another like Christ loves us, we will naturally slide into harmful rather than harmonious relationships. And scripture just compels us toward something different, something countercultural, a, a countercultural interaction with one another grounded in the beauty and the breathtakingness of Christ's love for us. And by the way, the self-sacrificing love that we're talking about, man, it manifests itself in words and deeds of encouragement towards one another. Because if I love you, man, I want to encourage you. I want to remind you of your place before Jesus as somebody who has been forgiven, as somebody who is loved, as somebody who is valued, as somebody who has worth as somebody who has wounds, that Jesus is working very slowly and intentional and healing, and maybe even doing it right in that moment that I'm encouraging you. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 tells us, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So Paul is talking to the Thessalonian church. He's saying, I know you're doing this. And you guys come alongside of each other. You encourage one another. You support each other. You build each other up. Keep doing it. You're already doing it. Keep doing it. So that message would be the same for us here at Substance. Man, you guys do that. I receive that. People around you receive that. Keep doing it. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is one of the ways that we not only unify through humility, but we love and encourage as we're just intentional. As we can just, as we can, as we're growing in Christ, as we're growing in the sacrifice of Christ's love for us, we grow in that sacrificial nature. We're not always so stuck on ourselves. Man, I'm so stuck on myself all the time. I always think about that. I'm so stuck on myself. And what 
happens is as we start to ponder, as we start to reflect, as we start to pray, as we start to remember about the Lord's treatment of us and the way that he loves us and encourages us, it just makes me want to get out there and love and encourage other people with as much intentionality as I can, right? Imagine what it would look like for us to serve one another for the sake of unity, humility, love, and encouragement that we receive from Jesus. What would the church look like when it faced hard times, if that was the case? What would the church look like when it was faced with a pandemic, if that was the case? What would the church look like when sorrowful times, when the death of loved ones happens, when disagreements with friends come about, what would the church look like when all of those things happened and we had a growing spirit of unity and humility and love and encouragement for one another? What would the church look like? It would look like Jesus. People moving toward one another with unity and humility, seeking ways to love and encourage because we are controlled by the love of Christ and we want others to be covered by that love and controlled by that love. We would be reminded constantly that we have a common enemy who wants to split us at the seams. It's not us, unless there are wolves among us. And that's okay because God's gonna give your leaders discernment to root those dudes out or those women out and go, nope. So we have a common enemy. We have a common enemy that doesn't like everybody gathered here today, that wants to use devices, that wants to use tactics to divide us so that we aren't acting in humility, so that we're not acting in love, so that we're not encouraging one another. Be reminded of that. You're responsible for your actions, but you're also influenceable. That's what the Bible tells us. So let me leave us with a couple of things here, okay? An assignment, so to speak. Gosh, I used to hate it when pastors did that to me growing up. Ronnie, we have an assignment for you. And I'm like, dude, I'm in, like, I, I got to go back to school tomorrow morning, um, and I'm already drowning in homework. And here, all the college students here are just like, oh, man. You know, let me, add, let me grab my iPad. Let me add it to my, uh, to my daily planner. But I do have an assignment for us, and I want us to think very deeply about this. I have two things that I want to ask that we would do. And what I would imagine is that for some of us, this is just going to fall into the rhythm of of what we already do. Um, And then for some of us, it's a new way to think about what it means to be a church that actually serves one another. Maybe create some new categories for you in terms of what that looks like. Because maybe you've thought wrongly of that. Or maybe you've, maybe you've thought about it in ways because you came from a tradition where, you know, I mean, man, they're, they're putting something new on your lanyard every week because your attendance has been great and because you did something really nice for someone that week. And it, and it began to feel like this thing that, be, that created all these weights. Well, we don't do that. We want to become part of the rhythm like we talked about last week and structure of our lives. Because these are not extra things we do. This is who we are right? 
First thing I want you to do, I want you to pray to the Lord. I want you to reflect on the ways that he has served you by unifying you with God, by humbly laying down his life for you on the cross and by loving and encouraging you through his word. Because we want to ground this idea of serving one another in Jesus Christ. No one has served you like Jesus. No one has been as gentle and as kind and as patient and as forgiving as Jesus has been to you in your life. Offer a prayer of thanksgiving to Jesus today. Ground yourself in the ways in which Jesus has served and continues to serve you. And then finally, plan a way to serve another person. Think of some way that you can serve another sister or another brother this week. And maybe it's just a text to encourage somebody. Ask them how they're doing. Maybe it's asking someone how you can pray for them. And by the way, if you send one of those texts and somebody says, oh, you're just doing that because that's what Pastor Ronnie asked you to do. I want you to just look them in the eye and tell them to shut up. (laughs) You can tell them I said to do that if they're not here this morning. Maybe it's asking someone how you can pray for them. Hey, I was thinking about you. I've lost a little contact. How are you doing? How can I pray? Maybe you need to repent and make peace with a sister or a brother due to an unresolved conflict. Maybe you buy somebody some groceries because they're sick, they got COVID, they're quarantined. Maybe you grab somebody new after the service, ask them to grab a cup of coffee so that you can hear their story or just be able to catch up with them. The list is endless. But if it comes from the thankfulness in your heart for how Jesus serves you, it won't be a burden but a blessing that might overflow your heart as you process and think about it. It might overflow your heart in some ways that will cause it to burst with a joy. Because in that moment of sacrifice will come a particular kind of unity from that humble act, which will then lead to an opportunity to love and encourage. And then we have this church that Jesus is building this messy church that Jesus is building that continues to be grounded, not in what it does, and not in all the good things that it's doing for the community and all the ways that people are able to look at it and go, wow, Substance Church, that's cool. But it's actually grounded in something that goes far deeper and that is supposed to undergird all of those things, which is the person of Jesus Christ, walk away today with that first part. I'm going to go before the Lord and thank him for the ways he's unified me with God and humbled himself to die for my sins and who he loves and encourages me through his word that he left me. Think about that because I don't want to give you a list of junk to do. I want you to ponder that and then I want to see what happens from the outflow of the joy that Jesus will create in your heart when you take even a few minutes to remember the ways in which he serves you, not because you are worthy, but because he is worthy of all things. 
what hope that might create when some of you guys hear from some other people this week. Amen? Let me pray. Lord, thank you for serving us, for uniting us back to God. Thank you for humbling yourself and dying on that tree for our sins so that we could have a restored relationship with you. Lord, thank you that you left us with words, that you inspired men to write so that we would be reminded of your love and encouragement for us. Lord, I pray that that continues to grow and the outgrowth of that would be in the way that we extend that to others. Let us be a church that serves well. Thank you, Lord, for the ways in which we grasp that as a church. Lord, I pray that we would continue to grow in it, that you would sanctify us in these things. We thank you, Lord, that we have such a great hope today as we scatter and as we take a minute to be reminded of who you are and how you serve us and how great and beautiful it is to have a savior that loves us with a humble sacrificial love. Lord, let that be what we leave this place reminded of, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.